Blog Talk Radio. Cross where 
We lift and we lift both of y'all up in prayer, brother. God knows God knows what you need. We pray in the hill. Give you what you need. Amen. Somebody, yes, Mama. Yes. Yes. Uh, she's a she's a uh, she's connected with us up in Arkansas. She's an extended family, I guess you'd say. But uh, anyway, she uh, had a double lung transplant just last week. She had all kinds of trouble with breathing and everything, and they called. And they live in Arkansas, so they, they got a call. I don't know. Well, let me let me get to that. Yeah, it's on. It's on. Um, but they got a call. They got a call early that morning and said, "Come on, we got a donor." So they drove immediately to Plano. And she underwent surgery and had double lung transplant and doing well. I think it's on, brother. Oh, it's unplugged. Okay. Well, that would that would do it. I don't know what that goes to. Your guess is good as mine. I don't know if you. Oh, I can make that work. We'll call. We'll call it a day right there. All right, but anyway, uh, yes, Leo. Uh, well, we're glad you made it. We're glad you made it nonetheless, and we're praying for your back, brother. We listen to you up in prayer. Amen. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Lifting her up in prayer as well. Others? All right. Y'all remember my health as well. I'm, I'm doing better, but I, I just still need your prayers. Uh, I want to give a praise report. My brother went home from the hospital, and he's doing well and, and seems to have the right spirit about him, so we're just going to have to trust that, that God will lead him to continue down the right way and uh, and hold him together. But so far, so good. So thank you for your prayers. Um, anybody else before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? I know there are others. We just can't remember them right now. But you know what? We have a God in heaven that, that even though even when our memories are faulty, God knows who's on our heart, and God hears the cry of our heart before we ever open our mouth. So let's take our let's take those that are on our heart, maybe those we don't even remember, and we'll take them all to the Lord. Robert Leadison, prayer this morning. Amen. You be seated. Patriotic this time of year, and and, uh, and 
think about the freedoms that we have in this country. And rather than rather than brag on the founding fathers and all of those things, I want to brag on another man that you've never even heard of this morning. And although these things didn't happen in 1776, they're definitely uh, part of our independence and our freedom in this country. And I, and I thought this would be a good time as any to share it with you. I want to tell you about a man named Elder John Leland. Elder John Leland. He was a, a leader of uh, I'll just read you the plaque reads in, uh, in Orange Park, Virginia. There's a, there's a plaque in, a, in Orange Park, Virginia. It says, Elder John Leland, courageous leader of the Baptist doctrine, ardent advocate of the principles of democracy, vindicator of separation of church and state. And on the, on the monument it reads, near this spot in 1788, Elder John Leland and James Madison, you might remember him, he was our fourth president, the father of the American Constitution, they held a significant interview which resulted in the adoption of the Constitution by Virginia. Then Madison, a member of Congress from Orange, presented the First Amendment to the Constitution, guaranteeing religious liberty, free speech, and a free press. This satisfied Leland and his Baptist followers. Now, you may not know that history, but... John Leland was a Baptist pastor, and he was also a senator. He was he was also very involved. He was very involved in politics, but up until that point, religious liberty and freedom had not been had in the American colonies. Uh, it was very much the opposite. They came and they came to escape the persecution in England, and what they found was the persecution followed them. And when they were when they were writing our Constitution, when they were forming our Constitution. Uh, there was no guarantee of religious freedom and freedom of speech. That was not even that was not even heard of. Well, it was this meeting between James Madison and this Baptist preacher John Leland that secured our our liberties and our freedoms of, of speech. Let me read to you the story. I won't be but a moment. And we'll get into the message here shortly. But in, in 1788, John Leland, an influential Baptist preacher born in Massachusetts and living in Virginia, met with James Madison, the father of the Constitution, to discuss Virginia's support for ratification of the Constitution. A draft had been submitted to several states for approval in 1787. Virginia and Massachusetts were opposed because there was no provision for religious freedom. Madison, who was seeking to be elected the Virginia delegate, to the Constitution Convention, met with Leland on the road from Fredericksburg to Orange, Virginia, and promised, if elected, he would support an amendment for freedom of religion. Leland, through his influence and support behind Madison, whose first draft to the First Amendment concerning religious freedom read, the civil rights of none shall be abridged on account of religious belief or worship, nor shall any national religion be established nor shall the full and equal rights of conscience be in any matter, nor in any pretext infringed. After several revisions, the final wording was, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free speech, free exercise thereof, and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were ratified in 1791. And it not been for great men like Dr. Brother John Leland, we wouldn't have the First Amendment to the Constitution. Understand that that the First Amendment, and I and I know some people won't like to hear this statement, but the first the, the the Bill of Rights is a Baptist document for the most part. It's because the Baptist people were the ones who argued for liberty and freedom in America uh, above all others. 
and I have some more to read you, but I ain't got time. We gotta hurry and get done. So let's go ahead and get to number fifty-seven. Let's turn there at Calvary. Years I spent in that initiate pride, caring that the Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me, he died on Calvary. Mercy, there was and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burden flows on liberty. At Calvary, I just word of life, my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I spurned. And my guilty soul imploring her to Calvary. Mercy, there was great and grace was free. Hardest there multiplied to me. There, my burden, souls, and liberty at Calvary. Now I give to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing at Calvary. Mercy, that was great and grace was free. Standing, 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 
I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of Christ, O Lord, bound to Him eternally by love's strong forth, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God, amen, praise God. Thank you. 
My only charge is that I preach the resurrection of Jesus. That's why I'm here. And he was there, again, because they didn't want him preaching the resurrection. They, did, they, they were angry with Paul because Paul was one of them, and now he's not one of them, so to speak, anymore. He has, he has come to Christ. He's a changed man, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. He then, he then uh, after two years, uh, the governor, Felix, left. Uh, he, he served his term there in Caesarea, and then he gave it over to a man named Portius Festus. Okay, and something funny about that name, Portius Festus. If you know what the Portius meant, it meant Porky. He evidently looked like a pig. I looked up the definition; it meant swine-like. So they called him Porky Festus. Amen. God, the Bible's got the Bible has humor. You just got nowhere to look for it. Amen. But he looked Porky Festus. So Porky Festus, he's under with Porky Festus, and uh, and and for two years he's been sitting there. And Festus was hoping somebody would bribe him and let Paul loose, but that didn't happen. So then Agrippa, he comes down to this. You say, who's Agrippa? He's a king. So Agrippa comes down, and he brings with him his sister Bernice. And, and you find that in chapter 25, that they came down, and they came to visit and to get to know the new governor, Porky Festus. Okay? So uh, anyway, they, they came, and they were just having their little visit. Well, he tells them about Paul. Well, Paul is going to be brought in. And he, they're going to hear Paul. So you got accusers who came down again. you got Paul before them, and that's what we're going to look at today, is the scene from the courtroom where Paul sits before a king. Now, I'm going to share with you the, the particulars about Agrippa and Bernice real quickly before we get into this so you understand the people he's talking to. Paul is going to be addressing Bernice and, and Agrippa. <clears throat> Agrippa is a very... Very foul fellow. Bernice is a very, very foul woman. They are royalty, but understand that they are not very high-quality royalty. Bernice, I can tell you more about it by telling you about Bernice. Bernice is the daughter of Agrippa I, as was Agrippa II, who we're looking at today, their brother and sister. Bernice had a couple of failed marriages, and then she married her uncle. And after she, I can't remember, her uncle died or she divorced her uncle, then she joined in an incestuous relationship with her full brother, Agrippa II, who we are seeing here today. I know this is foul. But I'm telling you, this is the quality of people Paul is addressing. I, and I know you'd say, I'd rather not know that. But if you know that, now you understand that God is working on some wretched sinners. Okay? These people, and, they, and for years, they were the laughing stock uh, of the ruling class, these two, Bernice and Agrippa, because of their incestuous relationship that they lived in. And so let's look at this this morning, understanding that that's who's sitting on the throne. That's who's considered royalty, okay? The world's a lost place, folks. The world's full of lost sinners. And sometimes they hold high positions. Just look at our presidency. Uh, then Agrippa, and look at the Speaker of the House. And I can just keep going all day, but I'm not. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. So we're in a courtroom. Again, King Agrippa is sitting there. Bernice is sitting beside him. Festus is sitting there. 
and they're all listening to Paul. Paul said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Now, he's saying to him, he said, listen, I'm very happy to answer for you. I'm very happy that I get a chance to talk to you, King. And, 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 and I think that was for a couple of reasons. I think, number one, because Herod, Herod Agrippa II was very familiar. He, he knew all about the Jews' religion. He was very uh, up-to-date on what the Old Testament had to say, even though he was a wicked man. he was In order to be a king, he had to know their laws. So he was very fluent in their laws, whether he followed them or not. So he said, now, listen, I'm very thankful I'm able to answer you because of these things I've been accused of the Jews. I've been in prison for two years. He's been, he, I mean, I, I say prison. Now, he had been, he had been, he couldn't go. He was detained, put it that way. He was detained. It's a constant. You're not in prison, but you're detained. Well, he was detained. He could, he could come and go a little bit. He could have his friends come in and visit him. He lived like a free man who lived at courthouse, basically, I guess. He was, he was, he was, a, uh, he was a free prisoner. But he'd been there for two years. Two years. And I think about that, and I, I'm, I'm not going to harp on this, but I just want to hit this for a second. I think to myself, those, those seem like wasted years. He's just sitting there in the prison cell. He, he, can't go, he really can't go anywhere. He just has friends in and out. But can he go in different places and preach and minister? No, he's not able to. Only the crowd that's there around him is he able to minister to. So you may think to yourself, if you think about it for a minute, well, why would God let two years go by for nothing? But I want you to realize something. Our plans are not God's plans. Our ways are not God's ways. And sometimes what we see as a waste, God sees as a time to change us. God sees as a time to fix something. God sees as a time to prepare something for us somewhere else. And what we see as a time of wasting, God is using, though we can't understand it. So I want to say that to you this morning because I don't know what maybe somebody in here, maybe somebody listening this morning, maybe you're in pause in your life and you think, God has left me. God hasn't left you. God didn't leave Paul. God had plans, specific plans for Paul, and I can guarantee you in those 600-something days that he sat there in that jail cell, he must have thought, God, are you still doing anything in my life? Even though God had made promises to him, our human brain sometimes cause us to doubt and question. But I want you to know something. Even though we're faulty, God's never faulty. God never makes mistakes, and God never forgets. Amen? So he said, listen, I'm glad I'm able to talk to you because you know what's going on. Verse 3, especially because I know that to be an expert. He said, you're an expert in all the customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. And he says, to patiently, look, I've been here two years. I've got a lot to say. I've been thinking about this for two years. I, I want to make sure I get everything out. So please, hear me patiently. He said, my life, my manner of life from my youth, which was at the first, Mine own, among mine own nation at Jerusalem, the all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, but after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Paul was more than likely taken to Jerusalem by his parents and left there with Gamaliel. He was more than likely taken there to be raised by the priests and the and, 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 and the teachers. He was, he was uh, 
all his whole life he grew up there in Jerusalem learning, studying. As I've said many times, Paul was more than likely in line to be on the Sanhedrin, to be one of the rulers and judges in, 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 in Israel, and they knew him. They had known him his whole life from a little boy. Everybody, that, that's why they hate him so. You understand that? He had grown up amongst them. He was one of them. They looked at him as one of their top guys. I mean, this is one of our, I mean, you talk about blue-chip players in college football. In the Jewish religion, he was a blue-chip player. He was going to be the one. We're going to be able to count on him. And he totally flipped on them. And they hate him for it. Okay? So he said if they would testify, if they would, they know. They know me. All right? He's saying, you know, the most straightest sect of our religion will live by Pharisee. I live just like these guys did, just like them. He said, now I now stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, the resurrection from the dead, that Christ, that Christ is coming, that Christ is the Messiah, that Christ is going to set up a, a throne of David and rule and reign on the earth. Listen, that's what I'm, that's what I'm held in. Uh, that's what I'm held as a prisoner for, that hope. He said, under which promise our 12 tribes instantly or constantly serving God day and night, hope to come. As far back as the Old Testament, until when, the, when the promise is being made, all our fathers have been looking forward to this, and that's what they're holding me accountable for. He said, and why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. See, back when he was a strict Pharisee before he got saved, he, he started saying, listen, this Jesus of Nazareth is going to change everything. Listen, he, he, he's, he, it's going to change our religion completely if these people continue to believe this. But he said, back then I thought about, I needed to do something to stop this. And he said, which thing, which thing I also did in Jerusalem and in many of the saints... Many of the saints that I shut up in prison, I went and found Christians that I locked them up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. So Paul not only had them put in prison, but Paul had them killed. Paul had them killed. Listen, he, he said, I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Paul, Paul he said, what, is that, what are you talking about there? Paul said, I, I would take them and, and, and do horrible, torturous things to them to cause them to curse Christ. I, you know, you can only imagine, you take, a, you take a husband and a wife and you torture that wife in front of the husband. And if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll find that that happened quite often, that they would horrifically torture a wife in front of a husband to get him to confess that he didn't believe on Christ. There's been some terrible things done down through history. And, 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 and sadly, this generation probably doesn't know anything about it. But it's the truth. People have died for what we believe. This ain't just something we believe frivolously. Listen, people have gave their lives willingly for what we believe. He said, I, I compelled them to blaspheme, being exceedingly mad against them. And I persecuted them, even to strange cities. I didn't bother. It wasn't just bothering me that they were in Jerusalem around here. I went way out to find them. As a matter of fact, this morning I went to Damascus. He said, whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from these guys, the chief priests, the ones that are accusing me, I went and he said, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven. 
above the brightness of the sun. It was brighter than the sun. Shining around about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, we, listen, we were on mules, donkeys, whatever. We all, we hit the ground. And he said, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Some people don't know what that means. If you're the wagon, It's not something to play with. 
He said, I'm not crazy. Amen. There's a lot of people around this world that thinks you and I are crazy because we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. We believe that Jesus died and paid the price for our sins. We believe that God made this world and everything in it and that he rules this world and that we are not our own gods and we do not choose our own faith. God is in control. But there's a lot of people that say you and I are crazy. But like Paul, I'd say to them, I'm not crazy. No, listen, I'm speaking the words of truth. I'm speaking words of seriousness. We need to, we need to quit being silly and, and living silly in this world we need to pay attention to. And he goes on to say, listen, Agrippa, you're a Jew. The king, the king knoweth these things. Whereof I'll also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. Listen, this didn't happen too long ago. He knew all about this. This thing was not done in a corner. Isn't that funny? I like the way God used that language. I didn't go up in a corner and do this hiding from everybody. No, Jesus was crucified. The Romans crucified him, for crying out loud. I know, you, I know you know all about it. And then he, and I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to turn back. Let's stop right there. I want, you to, I want you to turn back. Turn back to verse 16. I want to cover some things real quickly before we get to the end of this. I want to cover six thoughts. I want us to look this morning right here in this passage at Paul's ministry. What was Paul called to do? And I'm going to share with you in what Paul was called to do. You and I are called to do the very same thing, the very same thing that Paul was called to do. And you may say, now, wait a minute. Paul was called the apostle of the Gentiles. I'm no apostle. No, but you're a witness, and you're called to minister. That's what Paul said. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 16, I want you to look there. He said, but rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of the things which thou hast seen and of the things in which I will appear unto thee. Okay. Now, that's two different things, and, and he's referring to the things that he's learned up to this point and the things that God's going to show him. But let me tell you something. God has called every one of us to be a witness to the things we have seen and heard. Amen. I can tell you this morning that I know that Jesus saved because he saved me. I can tell you this morning that Jesus can deliver someone from a life of wretchedness because he's delivered me. I can tell you this morning that God has forgiveness for sins because he's forgiven me. Let me share with you what God shared with Paul and what Paul wants you to share with other people. Amen. He says right here, he said... But rise, stand on thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of the things in which I will appear unto thee. Look at verse 17. Delivering thee from the people, that's the people who, who wanted to kill him at that time, and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Here it is, verse 18. Here's his ministry. Here's his calling. He said, number one, to open their eyes. Amen. There are people all around us in darkness. There are people all around us who, are, who have their eyes closed to the truth of God. Can I tell you something? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They will never know what you and I know until we tell them. Listen, you and I have got, and the way to open their eyes is through their ears. They've got to hear the word of God. Once the person hears the word of God and they know the truth of the word of God, you're able to discern truth from a lie because you never know what to laugh until you hear the truth. But once a man hears the truth, the truth will set him free. 
Amen? So God has sent Paul to tell them the truth, to open their eyes. And God has sent you and I into this world to tell other people the truth, to open their eyes. Amen? All right, secondly, he said he sent them to open their eyes, and secondly, to turn them from darkness to light. To turn them from darkness to light. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Very quickly, turn over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. So he, he said, he sent him to turn them from darkness to light. Listen to the Bible. The Bible, the Bible says, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, the little g God of this world, that's the devil, Satan, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To turn them from the darkness to light. The Bible talks about if the light that's in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Darkness is all-consuming. When you take your eyes and you turn them off of the light and you turn them into darkness, darkness will consume your vision. Listen, there's so many things in this world, so many things in this world that the devil has got people blinded with. They're blinded by, by fame. They're blinded by wealth. They're blinded by lust. Blinded by greed. Blinded, blinded by so many things. This world is full of perversion, filth pornography, drunkenness, drugs, you name it. This world is full of it. Satan has people blind. They're caught up in that. Their minds are consumed with sin. They cannot see that, that freedom is in Jesus. Freedom is through Jesus' death for their sins. Freedom is through believing on him and accepting his payment, the blood that was shed for their sins. Freedom is there. There's the light, but they've got to turn their eyes from the darkness that's the truth that they love and turn to Christ and believe. The third thing he tells him, he says, first of all, open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light. The third thing he says, from Satan to God. Again, you have to realize that he, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. In this entire world, the people of the mind of the power of the Everything they seem to know came from Babylon. And when they went into their and all their places, carried their godless pagan idolatry and their own manipulated form that they were come to by their own creation, and they worshipped their own gods made with their own hands, and they called those things gods and bowed down to them and fulfilled the lust of their flesh because those gods told them couldn't tell them any different. So they lived in a godless manner fulfilling every lust of their flesh and worshiping stones and, and, and golden things and calling that religion. And Paul's job was to show them that that's going to send them to hell. He's, his job is to show them that that's not the right way, that we're not our own gods, that God is God and that we submit ourselves to him, that there's forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, that there's no forgiveness anywhere else. And that's the fourth thing he showed them. He showed them the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission and no forgiveness of sin. There's no other way to be forgiven. Man will try anything he wants to. He can make himself bleed. He can do good works. He can, he, he can sacrifice.
sacrifice. He can give. He can do anything he wants to do, but he cannot remove his own sins. The only way is through the blood. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Jesus made us accepted, able to be accepted in heaven. In whom we have redemption through his blood. In other words, we're redeemed to God. In other words, we, God, God now wants us because we have been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We're not filthy in sin anymore. And he, he caused the blood of his own son to be spilled to clean us. God cleaned us. Understand that. God cleaned us. He shed his own son's blood and cleaned us by that blood. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Unto the, according to the riches of his grace. Amen. I listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not forgiven because of anything I've ever done. I'm not forgiven because of anything about me. I'm forgiven because of Jesus, because my sins were put on Jesus. God put all my sins on Jesus, and he punished Jesus instead of me. He punished his own son in my place, and his blood was poured out instead of mine. Mine couldn't do a thing, but his was perfect blood, saving blood. And I want you to see what else he was to tell them. The fifth thing Paul was to tell them was about an inheritance in heaven. You see, if you come through that saving blood, if you come to Christ today and you say, Lord, I need to be forgiven, wash my sins away, God will forgive you. And not only will he forgive, it's not that you're just forgiven. Hallelujah. It would be good enough if we were just forgiven. But listen to me. Not only are we forgiven, but we also gain an inheritance. We're adopted Amen? Everybody in this room that's saved has been adopted. Amen? We've all been adopted, praise God, into the family of God. We're saved. Amen? The Bible, listen to what the Bible says. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. Listen, I got one. I'm, my spirit's alive in me. Amen? And the Spirit of God lives in here, and it bears witness with my spirit that we are the children of God. Amen? You say, how do you know you're a child of God? Because the Spirit of God lives in me. And I know that I'm a child of God. Amen? And he, he tells me that I'm a child of God. And the Bible says, and if, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. If I'm God's child, I'm his heir. Think on that for a second. What all does God own? What all does God, what all belongs to God? God says I'm his heir. How would you like to own everything? That's not a reason to get saved, but, but I'm going to tell you something. It's your benefit of it. Amen? I, 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 didn't, I wouldn't plan on telling this. It might take me a minute or two over, but I'll tell it anyway. There's a crazy preacher from Dallas, and I'm going to call his name. He's been dead for several years. I don't know if you name, but he's a crazy old preacher from Dallas, and he was talking about somebody who went with him where he went. Uh, he got a hold of that. I'm an heir of God, and he used that. He was in Chicago, Illinois, at the Greyhound bus terminal, and he walked up on one of the Greyhound buses. Here he is. He's an older man. He's a dignified-looking fellow in a suit and tie and everything. He walked up on the bus. He checked in his door and he said, My father, I want to 
God owns it all. He's his father. Now, he wasn't telling no story when he said that. My father owns his bus line. He, he warned the man that, I guess the man that used to own Cracker Barrel, because Cracker Barrel's serving alcohol now, so I know it ain't the same people in charge. But it used to be years ago, he warned the man that owned Cracker Barrel to the Lord, and he had, and the guy gave him, gave him a free reign to go in any Cracker Barrel restaurant and get on the intercom and give the gospel anytime he wanted to. I like that. Amen. He was a nut, but amen. God used a nut. Amen. God will use a nut. He'll use you too. Amen. He'll use me. Praise God. Amen. So we have an inheritance that God promises. Not only not only do I have what not only, not only do I have what I have now, but I'll have everything. Amen. Once I once once this old earthly tabernacle is dissolved, I'll own it all with God. Bible says join heirs with Jesus. Again, I'm God's child, so I have everything that God has. And and, and I'm and the Bible says join heirs with Jesus because Jesus is, is God's son. So hey listen, we're all in the family, all on it all together. Jesus is gonna let me sit with him in his throne someday in heaven. And all that stuff blows my mind. You say, I, and none of us deserves that. Well no we don't. But but because of Jesus and his love and generosity and mercy toward us. We can have all that. And it all comes to the last thing, what he just said right here. He said, let me read it to you, to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. See, Satan won't have the power to run and rule their lives and destroy their lives anymore. Listen, they'll be under God's power. That they may receive forgiveness of sins, completely forgiven, for all the horrible things they've done in their life and all and, and forgiveness for the things that they will do. Amen. The things that they won't want to do but they'll fall down doing, God will forgive them for everything that they do. And inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. It's all about faith in Jesus. It's not about anything that we've ever done or haven't done. It's all about faith in Jesus. Let me turn one more place. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith. Let me say that again. Uh, simplify that again. Justified means just as if I had never sinned. How is that possible? Because I have faith in Jesus and what he did for me in my place on the cross of Calvary. I believe that he died for my sins on that tree that day and that when I believed on him as my Savior, my sins are gone because he paid for them. Amen. So therefore, being just as if I had never sinned, by believing on him, by faith, we have peace with God. You see, as long as there's sin between me and God, I can't have peace because I know that, that God sees me as his enemy because I've sinned against him and I've done hateful, ugly things against him. But when the forgiveness is applied, when I trust and have faith that Jesus, God sent Jesus because he knew I could never make the, I could never right the situation. God knew that I could never fix it, so he sent his own son in my place to fix it for me. And I put my faith in him and believe on him. I can have that eternal life and have it right now and possess everlasting life this very moment. And I want you to understand that's what Paul was communicating to Agrippa that day. Now let me get you to that point. Verse 27, I'm going to pick up right there. Paul says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that I believe it. You know what the Bible says, King Agrippa. You've read it. You know the law. You've studied it. I know you know what it says. And Agrippa said unto Paul, 
almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, Paul said, Agrippa, listen. You know these things are true. You know Jesus was crucified. You know they put him in a tomb, and you also know that that stone was rolled away and that they couldn't find him. And you know, you know, you heard, you heard that he was alive. You know that. And I know you know the Bible told you that. Almost. Almost that persuades me. Now, I don't think Agrippa was mocking Paul. I'll tell you what I think. I think the Holy Spirit of God started stirring around that old wicked boy's heart. I think, I think it got to dealing with him the things he was doing with his sister. I think God started showing him, you're wrong, you're filthy, you're wicked, you've done some horrible, atrocious things, Agrippa. And your sins, you're going to have to account for them someday. You're going to stand before God Almighty and answer for your sins. But I've sent Jesus. I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice the mercy and the love of God. You say, I've heard, let me just say this. I've heard people say, when talk, in talking about people that are horrible, have done horrible things that have gotten saved. I'll give you one for example. Uh, most of y'all know the name Jeffrey Dahmer. I know some of the young people around there. I know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, but he was a he, he killed people and ate them. He was a cannibal, and uh, he was a homosexual. He killed he killed these men. He brought them in, lured them in, he killed them, and he ate them. Um, but he went to prison. He died in prison. But the the story is is that shortly before he died in prison, he trusted Christ as his savior, and uh, he gave a testimony that he believed on Christ. And I heard somebody say to me one time. If Jeffrey Dahmer's going to heaven, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to be in heaven with Jeffrey Dahmer. I wouldn't want to go to heaven with somebody like if God would save somebody like him, I wouldn't want to go to heaven. I had somebody say it to me one time. Now I'm going to tell you something. God has mercy. God has saved the worst. It's not about what you did. It's about what you do with what you did. Amen? We tell you, God would have saved Charles Manson if Charles would have believed. God would have saved the world, worst among us. God would have saved Adolf Hitler if Adolf Hitler would have believed. <laughs> and, uh, and they're sitting in that throne with all his fancy clothes, probably, probably decked out with all kinds of jewelry and, 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 and powdered and perfumed and everything else. And, Smelling good and looking good, but on the inside they were as rotten and as vile, as filthy as, as a dead dog been laying in a hot sun for a week. They were as disgusting as you can imagine. But God in his mercy reached down in love and poured out the Apostle Paul in his heart at that man's feet to show him that even he and even she in the filth that they were in could turn from their sin turn to Christ and be born again. I want you to I want you to see this. I want you to see this. All right. Let me find the let me find the let me find the words where he said it. He told them to repent. All right, it's right there in verse twenty. He said, but he showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. That's exactly what Paul was showing to Agrippa that day. Agrippa, 
you're going to have to repent. You say, what does that mean, preacher, to repent? That means well, there's actually two definitions of that word. One of them is to feel sorry for sin, and the other is to turn from sin. But let me, just, let me put it as simple as I can. We're doing things our way, living our way, seeing it our way, and, and, and living and, and doing things in sin, even though, even though we may think we're okay and we're a good person and all those things. According to God's standard, if we lay our, our, our righteousness next to God's standard, we don't measure up and we fall short. doesn't make no difference how we see ourselves. When God shows us what we are, we see that we're lost. And when God shows us that we are lost, that we don't measure up to his standard, God can't let us into heaven like that because we, we'd mess heaven up. Heaven's a perfect place. We're not perfect. We've got to be perfect. We've got to be washed as white as snow. And, and in order for God to do it, he shows us that we're not, we're not able to come the way we are. And there's only one way we can come. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus is saying, I'm the door. Come here. Come to me. I will save you right now. He says, repent. They should repent and turn to God. That's all one motion. And if we would come, if you would come to him this morning, if you would come to him, just admit it. I've sinned. I've failed you, God. I'm, I'm a wicked sinner, but I need to be clean. God will clean you like that if you come to him and trust in Jesus and his saving blood. He'll save you. And God says, and do works, meet for repentance. Listen, that means what you just said. Agrippa's in hell today. Bernice is in hell today. Tormented. Not because they were in an incestuous relationship, but because they rejected Jesus when he was offered to them. It's not, it, it, it's not your sin, so to speak. It's your rejection of the Savior. I urge you this morning, if you don't know for sure, Come this morning. Come during this invitation. Get born again. If you're listening in to us, right where you're at, get on your knees and confess to God you're a sinner and you need to be born again. You need to be saved. You need to have your sins washed away. God will clean you. He'll make you a child of God this morning. We're going to turn to number 10. I'm going to have, I'm going to have Sister come and play. We're going to turn to number 10 the song book. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And we're going to ask God to move on hearts. Maybe it's not salvation. Maybe it's something else. Thank you. 